0: Gotta remain rooted, you know, in in God's word, in our relationship with the Lord. But we also need a large-scale accountability structure that is gonna remind us and help promote who we really want to be so that we don't have those bad moments of that lead down to great tragic path.
1: Mark Yarbrough is president at Dallas Theological Seminary. DTS celebrates its hundred-year anniversary. Over that time, Mark points out one constant, God's faithfulness and grace. He reminds us that ministry leaders of every decade experience cultural change and challenges. He shares that DTS's goal is the education and formation of leaders.
0: We want to invest here on the education. We, We are spending just as much time over here investing in the formation. It's education and formation together. That's the totality of the educational model that we're about here. Well, Dr. Mark Yarbrough,
2: president of Dallas Theological Seminary and a good friend of ECFA. Hey, it's good to have you here on the ECFA podcast today.
0: It is an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Had it
2: on the schedule for a while, so uh, always good to chat. You know, schedule's finally cooperated with us. <laughs> so, no, we... We appreciate that. Sincerely, we know you have a lot of places that you could be, but that you would spend some time with us. We we appreciate and just so appreciate our, our partnership with uh, DTS, having the, the unique distinction as being a charter member of ECFA. So we're so grateful for that legacy and partnership.
0: Yeah, it's been part of our heartbeat for a long time. So thank you guys for who you are and what you do. And we're all in it together. So uh, thanks. That's
2: right. That's right. Well, hey, speaking of speaking of legacy, uh, you know, I, I just love so much of your leadership story, you know, being someone who uh, years ago was, was a student now at the uh, institution where you have the privilege of serving as president. So this is the ECFA Behind the Seal podcast. We just want to go a little bit behind the scenes with you. What is that like uh, today serving as a president of a, an institution where you once were a student? Well, it's fun.
0: I mean, there's always unique things that probably come with that. Um, I've had an interesting uh, progression here at school because, as you mentioned, you know, a student in the 90s. And um, that means that you have profs that when you come back from an employment standpoint and you teach alongside (laughs) of or work with. And then as I moved into some different roles, uh, so I served as the VP for academics for a while. Uh, before I moved into the presidency. So the reason I'm saying all that is that you have different relationships with people. and um, you know, you meet some of them and I I always say this, some of them will always be my props. It's hard not to call them that, isn't it? That's right. yeah, and we've had and I mean this is a good thing. Um, yeah We've been really blessed with longevity at Dallas Seminary. We're getting ready to celebrate our hundredth year. Uh, Congratulations. So, you know, I was still around campus. I'm like, you get one of these. So (laughs) we want to, you know, celebrate the goodness of God and his faithfulness. But we've also had, and the Lord is blessed in so many ways, we've had uh, profs with great longevity. We've had profs that taught here for 40, 50, 60 years. Wow. Wow. So, you know, there's probably a couple individuals uh, that have even in recent years gone on to glory but yeah. uh, even after retirement, served in an adjunct capacity for years and years and years. So we've been blessed with longevity. And um, so it's been a real honor to to be here, to engage with individuals that I have just watched walk the same way for a long time. And the older I get, the more I greatly appreciate that characteristic about someone, that they don't leave when things get tough um, it's not, it's so easy to quickly just flee to another something, maybe even a position in ministry. And, and, uh, we've been real blessed with individuals that said, this is where the Lord's planted me. There are no perfect places. We all know that, but this is where the Lord's planted me. And because of that, there's been this, this, uh, this faithfulness of individuals that have done life together. I think that honors, you know, I, I think that honors Christian community in general when there are names and faces that have been around a long time. So well, anyway, to answer your question, it's it's been wonderful. It's been unique. Uh, it has not been problematic in the, in the least. You know, I myself have now been at the seminary from even an employment standpoint since 2001. So I tell everybody that once you cross over 20 years anywhere, you officially get branded a uh, relic. So I'm you're a fixture. Being... <laughs> I'm a fixture. I'm a rel. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate that. I
2: appreciate so much of what you shared too, and just uh, yeah, bringing that testimony of longevity and those that have served so faithfully. I mean, that's a great segue into a lot of the conversation. I know we want to have today sure. just around healthy leadership, leadership integrity, and been having a number of those conversations, and looking to have, looking forward to having your perspective, um, you know, on that today. And And congratulations too, 100
0: years. That is incredible. Yeah, that's, uh, as we say here on a regular basis, the only answer to that is to God be the glory. That's right. Um, So we'll get to reminisce a little bit, look back. You know, every every ministry, every organization, every school uh, has a story. And um, if we're still alive and kicking, it's the story of God's faithfulness, right? And so we're going to have an opportunity to certainly do that, to look back at—we've uh, got stories, just like everybody else, of, of the early years. And when we started, a, a very uh, visionary leader by the name of Lewis Berry Chafer that started Dallas Seminary in 1924, and it's a fascinating account of how that all happened. But my point is, is that as we look back over a hundred years, ultimately, it's, it is a story of God's grace— I mean it's one after another you know we had a challenge we had a problem we had a uh a need and whatever it is it's the story of god's working through this place called dallas seminary so it's it provides us an opportunity to look back but a centennial also provides us an opportunity to look forward if the lord tarries and we pray he does not i mean always that's always my caveat You know, we we live (laughs) on a regular basis of Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah. But um, until that time, we are called to be faithful, and that's what we want to do. So we're preparing for another hundred years. We're preparing um, for, Lord, if uh, you continue to move us forward, we want to be ready and faithful. So it's a time for us to look backwards and forward at the same moment. That's what a centennial allows you to do. And actually, I think that's kind of a characteristic that we ought to live in on a regular basis. Scripture talks regularly about what I call the theology of remembrance. You know, it's looking back, you know, that word is used in the Old Testament over and over and over again of remember. Don't forget, you know, pile up rocks, have an Ebenezer, right, where you can look back and remember, hey, this is where the Lord fought for me here. And what that does, that should motivate us as we look into the future. If I've trusted him in the past, it means I can trust him with whatever comes my way in the days ahead. And that's part of our heartbeat here at the seminary as we celebrate the centennial, but ultimately as we really revel in every day that he gives us to serve him. Amen. Amen. No, that's such wisdom about
2: those reflections, looking back, dreaming, praying, discerning what's, what's yeah. sort of ahead. I couldn't also pass up, though, the opportunity to ask you, too, what is it like to lead into in days like today? Um, you know, I know the Lord's really blessing there at Dallas Seminary. Um, but, you know, across the landscape of many different ministries, but in particular, you know, Christian higher education institutions, yeah. uh, not easy times. So can you give us just some insights into uh, what it's like to lead through some of the challenge today, you know, way culture-shifting, Demographic changes, economic uncertainty, just all those things. Give us a little bit of your take on what is it like to lead today.
0: You know, I have this discussion a lot, and there is no doubt that when you look back over the last five-year window, certainly from a Western perspective as it relates to, in our particular environment, graduate-level theological education as a seminary, Um and there are unique things that we can point to, right? I mean, so I came into the presidency. Um, we had we had the best plans of the transition. My uh, my predecessor, that I worked for and under for twenty plus years, Mark Bailey, served as president, um, really from two thousand and one up to twenty twenty. And so we had all of these uh, big transitions that were, you know, how we were going to, we had metaphors, we're preachers at heart, right? So we had these metaphors of the baton was going to, you know, you know, there's that one part of the track where the runners in a relay race, they kind of run together, you know, that moment. And then the baton <laughs> saying, it sounds good, then it's real preaching. It does. And uh, then COVID hit, and then we changed our metaphor where, Dr. Bailey took the baton. He threw it up in the air. (laughs) I was going to say, where did he throw it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just an interesting time. So here's my point. COVID for every one of us uh, was unique. I have my own COVID stories. I was in Israel. I got quarantined at a hotel. I I had a two-bus trip that I was leading when the world stopped spinning around March 15th. And so my transition into the presidency was really supposed to be July 1 and that was our technical date. But really it happened when the world stopped spinning around Midmark. He knew and I knew as we were in transition that there could not be a confusion of a singular voice that needed to be utilized just for communication purposes. And uh, so that transition really started about three or four months earlier than that, than it was supposed to because of COVID. So to answer your question, what was it like? Well, sometimes, you know, in the midst of chaotic moments, you have to make decisions um, that aren't on the schedule. And that was one thing that I learned uh, very significantly through there. And the Lord blessed that. We were very transparent in talking and communicating and over communicating. I'm a real believer in the communication process of whenever you communicate you you, you say what you're gonna say and then you say it and then you say what you said, you know I mean it's you cannot over communicate in the midst of a crisis. I mean that is that is a given principle about communication. You cannot over communicate in the midst of a crisis and so that's been one of um, our desires as we've gone through this not just for me but my entire team and how we've tried to to lead through these very challenging times so that's been unique there's no doubt about it yeah I think you made reference to this many of the social issues and to me the biblical discernment of knowing when to speak and when to be silent that that execution of biblical wisdom, is a challenging thing because it's really the execution of biblical wisdom. Right, right. We talked an awful lot about that around here of there are culture wars that we're just not going to dive into. Um, There's enough what I call cultural prophets out there. And, uh, you know, our heartbeat here at the seminary is to equip godly servant leaders. We're not afraid of difficult conversations. That's not what I'm saying. And um, we certainly need to be prepared how to talk biblically and theologically at the water cooler and in relationships with neighbors and all of those kinds of things. There is a strategy to that, but you cannot let the minor things become the major things. And our mission is to equip godly servant leaders for the proclamation of his word and the building up of the body of Christ worldwide. That's our mission at Dallas Seminary. And so— as I say on a regular basis around here, we're married to the mission, but we date the methodology. So how so, are we- There you go. Yeah. That's that's always needing to be assessed, but we're married to the mission. We're committed. We're not moving off of this one. And so when it came back to crises, I I think it's important leading through a crisis is that you cannot step away from your mission. And that's, that is the temptation in the midst of crisis. So that—that that is in one sense what I would say about leading through this very, very unique time. But I would also say this, because I'm asked this question a lot of uh, what's it been like leading over the last few years? And there's the other side, maybe it's the, it's the uh, opposite side of the same coin. Has it been unique? Yes. But uh, part of this is just the nature of leadership. Every generation is uh, is tasked, from a leadership standpoint, with facing in walking through very unique moments. I mean, this is we are not in the first financial crisis we've ever had. This is not the first time that the church has ever had to deal with uh, antithetical challenges to uh, our faith and to gospel proclamation and to what it is that we believe it's not the first time in human history where you know it's like how do we guard our tongue in the midst of a hostile moment uh how do we handle change i can remember listening to my great-grandparents talk about all of this change. So <laughs> sure. Every generation. Yeah. You know, that's part part of what we're talking about here is how do you lead in a Genesis 3 world? Every generation thinks it's unique to them. We've never seen anything like this. We've never experienced this kind of... And I'm going, this is the history of human civilization, and this is the call of what it means to be... Um in the world but not of the world we're here but this isn't home we got to keep our head up we got to be looking ahead we have responsibility here and now but this is not the end game we need to be faithful to the moment but we've got to be driven by what is guaranteed that's the hope of the gospel you know we we've got a we've got a picture of we're not perishing but have everlasting life And that should drive us. So in one sense, um, these changes, have they been unique? Of course they have been. I've never led through a pandemic. Just haven't. Not in my lifetime, right? So that's been unique for me. It's been unique for us as a school because we've never gone through that before. But the mission hadn't changed. The Word of God hadn't changed one bit. And so we're going to let the major things be the major things. We're going to keep executing our mission realize that others have weathered change before, even in terms of the Christian community that maybe in the West feels a little more edge of persecution than we ever have, to quote my good friend Tony Evans. He says, yeah, the Christian community in the West is realizing that it's not the home team. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Yeah, We never have been the home team, biblically speaking. Our international students Uh, Students that might be struggling with that in the West, a lot of our students that are from other countries and cultures that have been persecuted, you know, they just pat us on the back and say, it's okay. You're you're now where we've always been, and we got to all just keep coming back to the center core. We're here to equip godly servant leaders and to be anchored in the immovable Word of God. So that's what we're about. So it's maybe two answers for your great question. Yeah, Yeah, there's some unique things, and I could talk about four or five of those that were unique. But there's the other side of this of saying, this is just what it means to lead in a Genesis 3 world. Absolutely. Very good. Very good. No, that's, I just think, some
2: great perspective. Uh, Great perspective for all of us, you know, as we're considering these moments. Yeah, well said. And, And some great advice, too, just around staying focused communication. I mean those are some some really good ongoing uh, leadership lessons for us. I'll tell you, um, just as I mentioned too, you know, in this particular season, speaking of seasons um, that we're in, um, say even here at ECFA, Mark, we've been having these conversations bringing in, gosh, some just great voices, thinkers, on this issue of leadership integrity and healthy leadership. And I think especially as we we do assess kind of the, the moment and the time that we're in, I mean, yes, it's sort of always been, <laughs> it's always been important sure. For, for sure, but like in this moment, how do we as a, as a community really come around and be more intentional? And I know last time you and I were together, I wrote this down. You, you made this statement that I wanna ask you about. You said, leadership health and financial accountability are hand in glove. Yeah. Hand in glove. So anyway, I, I don't know if that's a quote you will still claim, but if you do, <laughs> <laughs> I would love for you to unpack that for us because it relates so much to, I think, a real sense amongst the ECFA community right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do still claim it because I really do believe it. And in part, that is what ECFA is about, right? I mean, I think that would be a statement that you guys could probably mm-hmm. grab hold and claim and it's that hand in glove it's you know and the reason I think I said that not not uh, remembering the full context of our previous discussion we were having but um, you know we live unfortunately in a world um, that is just marred by churches or ministries that have fallen either a moral failure of the leader or senior leaders, um, moral failure regarding finances. I mean, you know, if we would never want to do that, but well, I mean, just off the top of my head, and I know you could do the same thing of, well, we could list, uh, tragedies that are blemishes on the church at large of scams that have occurred or, you know, um, theft, uh, lack of transparency is really what it was. Honestly, lack of accountability. It's a stewardship issue. And so I do believe that it is paramount for Christian ministries to um, set up healthy systems for transparency externally, transparency internally, accountability up and sideways with a governance structure and then to be able to talk about that regularly so when i say leadership health and financial accountability are hand in glove if that is not one of the priorities of a leadership or an administration especially within the christian community because we believe that everything that we have is not ours, we're stewards, right? Um, every dollar that comes in at Dallas Seminary, you know, we're not a we're not a difficult ship to figure out, <laughs> like a lot of places. You know, in our guild, you know, we're a non denominational school, so we don't have a denominational check that comes in. Uh, we have very very faithful donors that stand with Dallas Seminary and have been for some of them for decades. We're into third and fourth generation families of some families that have been watching us and engaging with us and cheering us on and praying for our students for decades. And, um, so being able to have that, and then student tuition, right? Those are our two income streams. We have we have a another thing that we call auxiliary, and it's minor. We have a book center, and we have housing units, but it's it's relatively small. If you if you were to ask me and say, "What are your two major income streams?" That's what it is. It's tuition revenue, and it is uh, gifts from. Faithful friends. And that is what moves the ship forward. And I am accountable. I really do believe this to every student and to every faithful check writer. And um, to this day, it's why I sign my letters when I think, and it doesn't matter if it's a small gift or a large gift from an earthly perspective. My biblical lens tells me it's not how many zeros or commas it has in it. It's the gift, and every dollar matters to God. And so being able to talk about that, to have transparency in our budget, how our budget is set up, the portion of it that goes to employees, how we're handling um, raises while we're doing capital projects, if we're raising money for a capital project, to be able to talk about it to talk about why it's on a priority list, um, that is promoting transparency. Um, I'm a believer as a president of doing Q&A with my entire team. We have a little over 400-plus employees. And when we have our all-team meetings, uh, I will generally present or other folks throughout the community are presenting, but almost every one of them, we have an open Q&A time, open mic. Individuals can ask anything they want about projects or funding or where we are or benefits package and we do surveys we we really believe in surveys we just finished doing the Christ, the you know Christian workplace survey yes and yes we, i'm a huge fan of that i mean you know assessment is biblical and so being able to look at yourself internally have thick skin not be offended it's part of the growth process And so here's my point. I've said all that, say, there's a larger philosophy, but a huge portion of that is related to finances. And that's how this question started off. Why do I believe they're hand in glove? Because I'm like, if they're not, what we've done is we've just quarantined a very important part that every ministry must give an account for. First of all, to the Lord. Second of all, to your constituency. And so if you are in front of that and you have set up ways to be very transparent and to talk about it, have public audits, have all of that that's available to people um, is, is critical. And it's even more critical because we live in a world of suspicion because there are horrible stories that are out there, even in the Christian community. And so let's not give a foothold for accusation and hand in glove means we're going to make this part of who we are this is part of our mo of moving our ministry forward and i think when we do that that the doubter that may be out there can say well they're pretty transparent about how they conduct their business and i want to do that vertically and horizontally so that's why I stick with that statement and um, it's important for us especially today because of potential perceptions out there of Christian ministries and Christian leaders wow well said I don't know that I could nod my head anymore
2: <laughs> to, to what you said well, it's just your heart in all seriousness it's your heartbeat it is it is it all comes back to uh yeah we articulate you you mentioned kind of being married to the mission then- Earlier, so at ECFA, enhancing trust, in yeah. Christ in your churches and ministries. And yeah, just comes back to having those high standards in place. I appreciate so much about what you sh- shared too, just in terms of the, the energy that leadership puts behind these things. Yeah. I mean, it sort of all rises and falls on that.
0: Yeah, it really does. I've got to make it a priority for me, for my team, for all of us. And, and elevate this to an area of saying, this is why we care about this. And um, it's, you know, once you can get to a, and we never arrive, you know, we're always striving. I mean, one of our core values, right? We're pursuing excellence. Um, so you never fully arrive. There's always things that you can do better. Um, but but when I look at this, I'm going, it's a lot easier to maintain and sustain trust than it is to lose it and have to rebuild it man those are different those are different narrative trajectories and so we are focused on maintaining and sustaining trust with financial accountability once you lose it man you got to do a lot of work to go back and rebuild it and, um, so that's my word of encouragement to anybody or any ministry that I, uh, work or can encourage, consult with is that, where are you on that trajectory? Are, are you rebuilding? Cause there was an issue or, or are you there? If you're there, make it a core value so that you can keep that train moving forward. Yeah. What do they say? It's trust is gained in drops, <laughs> lost in right. bucket. There you go, man. That's Yeah. yeah. We all know how it works, and it is so true. That's not that's not just an old adage. That is a reality of life, and anybody in leadership knows it. Yeah, for sure. I want to come back to something else that you said, Mark, that I think was
2: was really insightful too. And talked so much about financial integrity, sort of institutional integrity, but you also made reference to to yeah, unfortunately, some of the these tragic situations that we're seeing as from a personal integrity standpoint um, leadership integrity and individual leaders and some of the um, falls that we've seen or, you know, whatever it may be. And just love to have you speak to that too, you know, your, your observations around that. And, you know, what can we do? What can we do to help turn the tide in that area?
0: Well, ultimately, you know, any as true for you, it's true for me, right? Is that it's always the heart of the leader you know, any of these tragic stories, you can point to a variety of things. And I think those do need to be evaluated. I'll talk about those in just a second. But ultimately, you know, our heart walk to the Lord. Our walk of faith with the Lord. Um. You know, we you can fake it for a while, but you know we've got to as leaders realize that you know it was Boz Guinness years ago that talked about the audience of one right? Meh. And there is a lot of truth to that statement that's very biblical, you know I'm accountable to the Lord. I'm gonna I'm gonna be uh, rewarded or lack thereof um, you know Paul speaks about that in second Corinthians chapter 5. You know, this is not a judgment of believers in that context. It's a judgment that's going to come about the deeds that, as believers, the opportunities that we've done. So I think that all of us remembering that we have an accountability that is higher than our ministry and it is to the Lord Himself. So it's always about the heart of the leader. Uh, Howard Hendricks, one of our legends around Dallas Seminary for years and years and years, you know, always used to use that phrase and said, you end up leading out of who you really are. Say that again. So good. You end up leading out of who you really are. In other words, it's going to come out at some point. So when we look at these tragedies, you know, of leadership catastrophes that have occurred of individuals that have a moral failing, whatever that moral failing is, you know, whether it's sexual or financial or betrayal of whatever. I mean, pick your category. And um so ultimately it's how do we how do we develop a a sensitive heart to the Lord as leaders? So it starts there. Now then that begs another question. So then how do you do that? How do you how do you make sure there's accountability? I do believe that boards and governance structures need to establish appropriate levels of accountability. And, um, you know, that, that's been proven. I'm not mentioning anyone, but I mean, we could identify two or three uh, just tragic things in the last, you know, five years that we would just shake our head at. And, I'm, and part of me says, how the, the board was sleeping on the job. Ultimately, is that blaming the board? I'm blaming the board secondarily. What's what's issue number one? It's the heart of the leader. So let's remember the sin is here where that, that leads to this. But in this fallen world, we gotta help one another, brothers and sisters and leaders. So what protective hedges, not legalism, but what protective appropriate hedges have, have boards put in place of care for their leaders? I think that's very important. I think that there are third-party accountability structures that need to be set up that work with the board and the leader. I think sometimes having a third-party dialogue is very, very healthy because we can all have blind spots. You know, I have blind spots as yeah. believers, you know, and uh, ministries can have blind spots and leaderships can have blind spots. I mean, because I can't tell you the stories – that I've heard personally of, you know, the board's going, we were duped. We thought this. And I'm going, well, there are ways to have some other accountability structures in place. So I think models are important, actually. I think governance models and the wisdom that comes out of governance models to help protect individuals. Uh, We're all vulnerable. Everybody can make stupid decisions. Just call it what it is. Look, that's, that's what it means to be fallen individuals and i don't care if you're nine or you're 90. we our sinful hearts can be prone to fallacies to getting led astray and so we've got to remain rooted you know in in god's word in our relationship with the lord but we also need a large-scale accountability structure that is going to remind us and help promote who we really want to be so that we don't have those bad moments of that lead down to great, tragic paths. So it's a it's a trifecta if you ask me. And You ask, what, what can we do to prevent that? And I'm going, soft hearts before the Lord always. How do you have a soft heart? Time in his word, time with him, accountability structures that really probe, not just, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, yeah, yeah, great but really said no how's your heart doing so it's a it's a trifold way i think of of prevention but you know an ounce of prevention right As that's right old adage goes that's right
2: some s- just i can't even <laughs> use the right adjective i don't think in terms of the key uh insights that you just provided yeah in terms of bringing in the the importance of yeah, the board and their unique opportunity that they have to help influence. Uh, I love the word that you use there to care I think because that accountability really has to come from that place mm-hmm. you know, of care and yeah I'd be curious to even just sort of double click into that a little bit and um, when you think about that relationship of what that would look like in order for that uh, what you just described is I think the almost epitome of health in some ways Uh and but it really relies so much I think on the relationship there's a relationship that would have to exist between like the leader the board perhaps that outside group as you mentioned what do you think is the key in terms of the right kind of relationship for that really healthy
0: form of support and accountability to exist I think the relationship between any key leader and their board is just critical and unfortunately, there's a lot of that that can be challenging at the very beginning. And, you know, to me, it's like, if I'm, this is a bad analogy, so forgive me in advance, every analogy breaks down, you know, it's kind of like, you know, on the front end of it, uh, so I've, had, I've got four kids and uh, they're all in their, you know, 20s now and one's married, but back in the day... Negotiating the relationship that I had with my kids in helping them buy a car, it it was very important to establish the rules and the healthy relationship from the beginning. If you you are three years down the road and there's a crisis and then you're having to create things on the fly, it's very difficult. Does that make sense? If you're so, totally you're establishing <laughs> the rules yeah. after the game has already started, it's a challenge. So I do think one of the things that if I'm talking with a board or individuals going in, I even say this to the individual, if the board doesn't have it, promote it. There you go. I think that's a sign of a healthy leader that says, hey, guys, uh, I don't think I'm vulnerable in these areas. I think it protects you, it protects me, and it protects the ministry. So let's set up accountability issues, you know, at any moment. my And I want this. You know, my IT can do a purge through my computer and my phone. I want them to see everything. I had nothing, you know. Um, I want my board to be able to probe at any moment. We've got a mechanism, you know. I've got an executive coach. My executive coach can talk to my chairman of the board. Very transparent in that regard. That's what I call kind of, you know, a third party. (laughs) right. I I have a small group for me personally that is outside of the seminary. I need them outside of my ministry world. They're the people that have, some of them have known me my entire life. And those are the ones that, you know, they know my vulnerabilities and I've given them permission to, if they need to make some emergency phone calls, they have the right to do it. That puts a, that puts a web out there. That's pretty far. Yes. Anybody can deceive. You can't put a a model and a protective hedge out there. that's going to protect from anything. If somebody wants to deceive, they're going to deceive. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's out there. However, there can be some good accountability structures that are out there. So back on your question related to the board, um, I think it's a wise board that is already being proactive. I'm a believer in, in rest and health. I mean, that leads to things. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting that the academic community you know, had this concept of sabbaticals. sabbatical, sabbatical. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, kind of the church community embraced that. It's actually a very wise thing about what is the long-term care for an employee? See, I want to have that same mentality for my team here, not just me, but it's like care needs to go up and down, right? I mean, it needs to be for all of us, especially when we go through hard times, when we lead through very challenging moments. So how do you have a long term care package for departments and for leaders in that department? And there I think there's ways that you can do that. And that promotes that this isn't just a job. I care about your well being. I'm actually seeing that in the workplace. We're getting so many phone calls, but it's really exploded in the midst of COVID of individuals that were uh, calling and saying, hey, we're thinking about hiring a chaplain at our company. Okay, I'm not talking about like a healthcare chaplain. Yes. Or a military chaplain. Yeah, kinda of right. a workplace chaplain. Individuals that are not even believers are, are realizing, hey, if I have a good employee relations department and I have a chaplain that is there to just love on people, to care for people, they're going to be a better employee. It's true. Hey, there's all sorts of stats and studies that have kind of walked through that, but I'm saying that's a that's a very God honoring biblical model. So so back again on your question, I know I'm ADDing, but I'm coming back. This is right. so good. Keep 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 going. Yeah. Well, that's a great topic, right? So it's the long term health of an organization, but the leadership structure within that. So I think you've got to be intentional in today's world. I mean, look, we got to. We got a health crisis that's coming our way in regard to uh, mental health issues. It's all now on the backside, three years removed from COVID. It that tsunami is on its way, and most workplaces, and I would even argue ministries, are very ill-equipped for how to how to handle that. It's one of the things that we're talking about a lot in what our HR is called employee success because we really are. Intentional. We want employees to be successful. We want them to have ownership and buy in, but we want to care for them and their family also. So that large scale discussion is is rearing its head everywhere. Um, savvy ministries are the ones that are going to be in front of that, as opposed to behind it. When you're behind it, you realize you have a crisis. So, my encouragement to anybody that might be listening to this is. Start, start working on that rapid fire. Um, for educational uh, entities like a Dallas seminary, I reference the totality of the educational process. It is not just about the classroom. I'm all about faculty and degrees and papers and curriculum and projects and all that kind of stuff. That's about what I call half of the educational process. The other half for us, If this is education this over here is formation and we can promote some of that but there's another part of that that we don't promote we don't control what happens to people when they're going through seminary tragedies in their family loss of a child the death of a
1: parent a
0: a financial crisis the lord teaches through all of these moments so here's my point i want to invest here on the education we, we are spending just as much time over here investing in the formation. It's education and formation together. That's the totality of the educational model that we're about here. And I think it's true for everybody wants to do that. We've just been traditionally more focused on this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure.
2: I want to come back around on that. And I know we we are. We're jumping around a lot. I've got my pen out because I'm taking so many so many notes here as you're sharing. I appreciate uh just all you're sharing and the opportunity just to probe a little bit further. Uh hope it's okay that I ask you this question, but yeah. I think it was I don't want to miss this insight. Oh, by the way, the there was sort of some gold that you buried there, which was everybody go home and rename your HR department employee success. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> that, that's bonus material. So coming back to what you shared too about um I think just even the relationship with with your board. Uh, If you don't mind sharing, Mark, were you blessed enough to inherit that? Or was that something that
0: you sort of worked alongside the board to help carve out? Both. I've got a wonderful board and a great relationship with the board. Um, We don't always agree. And that's the joy of collective wisdom. You know what I'm saying? And we've got a lot of wonderful new topics that are big topics that require us to iron sharpens iron. I need their wisdom they bring an expertise to the table, brother, that I don't have. I've got some folks on the board that are gifted at helping me see my blind spots. We all have the same goal here at Dallas Seminary. And the board and I working together, I am a board member, um, but we're in this together. And and that is the mentality here. So I inherited a lot of that. We are, um, for a new era, establishing new processes and protocols and checks and balances. There are areas that in former models were not part of it and maybe in certain seasons weren't needed. I can't answer. I'm not pointing backwards saying something was wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that in today's world, today's culture, what are some of the things that we want to do well um, for my health which will have great impact on the health of the organization of the ministry. They work. They work together. So we're still establishing this. We don't have it all figured out. We're not trying to say that we we want to continue to learn best practices. Uh, I am dear friends with uh, some large public companies that do some things really well. You know, I I joke about the fact that, and I'm happy to say this because I've said it publicly. I'm like, yep. Uh, we want to be the Chick-fil-A of seminaries, you know? I sure. I mean, some <laughs> yeah. of the management yeah. protocols, some of their uh, establishing their values for their employees. There are things that you can point to and say, that's really well done there. <laughs> um, and so I'm pretty public about that. So we're constantly, as a board, working on how can we do it better? What What needs to be established uh, so that it can position us for greater health. That's what we're. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, love it. No, I think that's great. And
2: part of the reason why I asked that too, Mark, is I just want to encourage uh, all the leaders too who are listening who would say, no. "You know, that sounds great, but we don't have that here." You know, I think you just uh, shared some good encouragement for all of us. And and yes, you had some good foundation and things to build upon so yep. that obviously helps big time, but there also is, uh, there's definitely an initiative that leaders can help show. So that was huge. Okay. Coming back to what, uh, yeah, what you shared too around not just education, but formation. I think that was another key thought and, uh, just wanted to maybe pick your brain for a few minutes as we begin to come to a close here, just around that, um, and in the work that you're doing at Dallas seminary to really not just say, teach, Greek 101 or preaching, whatever it may be. But yeah, um, h- how are you all really intentionally helping prepare these ministry leaders uh, from a from a soul standpoint, a, a healthy leadership standpoint?
0: Well, you know, um, I, I thank you for coming back around to that, because I want to make sure that, you know, when I communicate that, I am not saying that in former generations— of Christian higher education, we were never concerned about the formation process. I believe that's part of our guild. Praise the Lord for every faithful yes. wealthy member that has invested in a student, right? Discipleship occurs in lots of ways in different phases and stages, and we've always known that education doesn't just uh, exist in the classroom. Okay, so previous generations have done that. What I can say is, and this is true about Dallas Seminary, and it's true of most uh, Christian ministries in general, and certainly in education, okay, whether that be graduate or whether that be undergraduate. I can show you historically, somebody ought to do a big study on this. I will guarantee you where the data is going to go. When you look at a educational institution's budget budgets will tell you priorities and we invest in faculty as we should classroom classroom facilities buildings libraries um you know books book centers, you see where I'm going here, things that are at the core of the educational paradigm. Uh, if it's an undergraduate school, you know, then we're investing in, you know, athletics and a gym and fun activities for our students and dorms. And and I'm not, all of those things are incri- are, are critical. They're important, so I'm not knocking them. What we've not historically invested in has been the office of the dean of students, counseling services, discipleship emphasis. How about helping people assess their spiritual gifts and their giftedness, how God has wired them? I can carry this all the way out in Christian institutions of job placement and alumni support in continuing education. That's a whole other branch of education that historically, I mean, I, this, it's almost not debatable. When you look at where the heavy emphasis of the dollars has been, this one over here just kind of gets the nibblins. <laughs> and I think we've got to start balancing those models. Here's what I'm saying. I think it's more critical today than ever before. Here's why. Because as our culture, and I'm speaking primarily for Western culture, as our culture fragments and the home is busted up and you have more tragedies that have happened to people than ever before, The way I reference it here when I'm talking about students at Dallas Seminary, and we have wonderful students at Dallas Seminary, I believe 30 years ago, and again I don't have data for this, so don't press me too hard. Okay, (laughs) take your word for it. Is that? But I think people will generally understand what I'm saying. Um, 30 years ago, I believe that every student that came to Dallas Seminary had what I call three pieces of life luggage. That's what it means. I'm back on that. I use that phrase early on it's what it means to live in a genesis 3 world look we don't control always what happens sometimes we have our own stupidity that causes pain and suffering sometimes it's a fallen and broken world right there were things that were done to us that we didn't have anything to do with and now we have to learn how to cope and live with that how to recover from that Okay, I could talk all about that, but I'm saying 30 years ago, I think every student that came to Dallas Seminary had three pieces of life luggage. Okay, this is a metaphor, you get it. I think students that come to our schools today, almost every one of them has 10 or 15. Wow. Now, I could give you a bunch of surveys that will tell you that not just specific surveys about dallas seminary but about what's happening in western culture you know that have grown up in a split home and watched their parents divorce at the age of seven in front of their eyes that saw domestic abuse or have been abused sexually or have gone through tragedies that have been through addictions they made bad horrible decisions you see where I'm going here. I'm not. I'm not making fun of anybody. That's not what I'm saying. Here's 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 my argument. If what I am saying is true, and I'm telling you, when I say this in front of thousands of people, I'm watching everybody nod their heads. I watch other presidents and, you know, leaders are going. I'm with you. That's so true. Right there. You can debate how many pieces of luggage, but I'm telling you, it's double or triple what it was before. It's what's happening, and as the thread has unleashed. The scenes in Western culture is that we are responsible to help them if we only stay over here on the education side and we send them out into the local church or into parachurch ministries or to the mission field uh, into whatever the Lord leads them on so we're focused on here one of the languages that we use is that we say we got to talk about packing and unpacking. We've got to acknowledge our life luggage that we have. Make sure we know what's in there. Let's unpack it and let's pack it back up. If we take our hurt and our pain and we give it to God and we walk through that with Him, He will redeem that pain and He'll use it for His glory. Yes. But if we suppress it, And that can lead to all sorts of addictions. If we suppress that, it will rear its head out there when I am, quote, quote, in ministry. So that's why this is a big deal. Education and formation have got to be viewed together, not just a big emphasis here, and yeah, we'll toss some some small things over here. We need to elevate this and see what I reference as the totality of the educational Process. So when we say our job at Dallas Seminary is to equip godly servant leaders, I don't just mean with a book. I mean, it's books, but it's also about how can we have an emphasis upon the heart of the ministry leader? Let's bring these together where they should be. I think that's biblical. I can also say right now, we better start being very pragmatic on that topic. If not, it will rear its head in untold ways in the future. Yeah. Wow.
2: No, that's so good. I appreciate that. That really weaves together, Mark, just as we come to a close here. So many of the things we themes that we've talked about, whether those that are, you know, decades in, you know, leading ministries today, how do they stay, you know, healthy, continue on their formation journey, those that are coming up in ministry, just affirm and appreciate all the investment that you're making there. Anything that I didn't ask, any closing thoughts, anything else kind of burning on your heart? As you have this opportunity here with the ECFA community today.
0: Yeah, I think we've kind of hit on it, brother. I really mean it. Um, you know, I just tell people all the time, and I say this to myself, and I have others that say it to me. Um, you know, let's let's stay anchored in the word of God and have our hearts soft before him. Remember that we're here for just a little while. That's amazing how that perspective. Reminds us of the preciousness of these moments to be good stewards, and then the other one of those is I'm gonna like, take care of yourself. Um, you know, if I fall apart, I'm I'm of no value to my wife and my kids and to this beautiful team that I get to do life and lead with. And um, so maybe those are two walkaways for us. Of you know, let's uh, let's abide. And remember that uh, we need to be attached to him and we need to be good stewards of even us so that we can be good stewards for everything else that has been entrusted to us. So, hey, I appreciate you, uh, Michael. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate these podcasts for all of our dear friends at the ECFA. Um, uh, Thanks for uh, helping all of us, you know, keep zeroed in in that regard. And it's a privilege for all of us to get to do it. Together, for God's good pleasure and his glory.
2: Amen. This is a great closing charge. The real honor to get to have this
1: time with you today, Mark. Thanks so much. Lord bless you, brother. You too. Thank you so much for listening to the Behind the Seal podcast from FA. We're thrilled to bring members like Dallas Theological Seminary to you. I'm reminded of the simplicity of following biblical truth as I listen to Mark today. When asked about cultural influences, he's not intimidated by a dialogue, but references what? Wisdom and when to speak and when not to. Do you find yourself speaking about the cultural moments and challenges more than the timeless truth of God's word? I encourage you to consider that. I know I am. Hey, we're honored by your review and sharing of this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. It means a lot. Hey, we hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.